are starting a brand new series. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. This will be the, one of the longest, probably the longest we've ever had. It will be 13 sessions. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a big hand. A big hand. So over the next three months, April this month, uh, May and June, we'll be looking at the topics that will underpin our series, Fruitfulness by Sanctification. I believe I've got a banner there, Fruitfulness by Sanctification. And um, it will be in three parts, even though it's, it's a 13-part it's a series itself, it will be in three subsets. So Fruitfulness by Sanctification. And um, we will be starting the first four parts. We'll be looking at fruitfulness of the spirit. And then that is where we'll look at the spirit of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. On Easter week, we'll look at fruitfulness through death. Then on the fourth week, we will look at uh, the spirit of counsel. And so that will be our uh, session on fruitfulness on the spirit. And then we will move into fruitfulness of the soul. The power, number, um, section, topic five, we'll be looking at making godly decisions and godly choices. How your soul can be empowered to, to make decisions. You see, decisions are so important. You took a decision this morning, that's why you're here. You can take a decision not to be here, you won't be here. Decisions are so important. So how we look at scriptures, people that make godly decisions, people that sadly at times made poor decisions, and it cost them a lot, at times cost them their lives. And then we will look at the context of emotional intelligence, not like the business people teach emotional intelligence. It's just to talk about our emotions and how God wants us to be people of self-control indeed. And then we will look at joyful dispositions, understanding the place of joy in your soul. Fruitfulness of the soul thrives on joy. A joyful man will be a productive man. And uh, I know that is a way off, but I want you to just begin to expect what God will be doing with us. And then we will move into the fruitfulness of the body in terms of um, uh, fruitfulness of the soul in terms of kindness. And then the last uh, four topics will be on fruitfulness of the body, the physical evidence of fruitfulness through things like divine creativity, the power of grace, the power of mercy, the power of favor, and the power and the place of companionship. So it will be 13 very loaded sessions. So I want you to be excited and I want you to be prepared for what God will be doing. But we'll be starting today with fruitfulness by knowledge. Fruitfulness by knowledge. Starting us on the fruitfulness of the spirit subset of the, of the series. You see, fruitfulness is something God, one of the first things God said to man. We started this at the beginning of the year. One of the first things God said to man was to be fruitful. Remember? Genesis 1.28, after man was created, the next thing he says is be fruitful. God likes fruitfulness. God loves to see fruitfulness. And so it is important for us to understand that it is a mandate upon humanity. And those of us that were here in January will remember when we were laying this foundation, we said... God's mandate of fruitfulness is upon every man, regardless of who they are. It's upon every person. This is why you don't have to be a Christian to be fruitful in your body. You don't have to be a Christian to be fruitful in ideas. This is why we can see people who even hate God, but yet they, they have ideas that make them produce things and employ people and are big entrepreneurs. Because the mandate of fruitfulness on, on mankind is one that's irrevocable, is one that God has given to every human being. But you see, those of us who have 
come into the ecclesia, the called out ones, those who have said to the Lord that we are accepting the lordship, the gift and lordship of his son Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and are by name now called Christians, are people who further have a particular kind of fruitfulness that God is expecting of us. It is the fruitfulness of our spirit that only those who have been called into the ecclesia are permitted to enjoy. And like I said, like we said throughout January, if we live in the realm where every man lives and refuse to live as Christians who also have a realm of a higher order of fruitfulness by the Holy Spirit, we shall change ourselves. Now think about living in the two realms, being able to have a mastery over fruitfulness that is given to humanity and that which comes by the Spirit. This is what God wants for us. John chapter 15 verse 16 will kick this off for us. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So I say, he chose me and appointed me to go and bear fruit. He said, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. So God desires to see fruit. God looks at everyone and is seeking to see fruit. And we know that the, we know what the fruit of the Spirit is, but God is always looking at our lives and expecting and desiring to see fruit. You know, God was so, he used a tree in Mark chapter 11, he used a tree that was uh, uh, fruitless. And um, it was, he, he showed his disciples how much, he used that to show his disciples how much it was, uh, uh, he was disappointed and he cursed the tree. And the disciples said, the, the next day they came back, they saw that the tree had withered. And he said, Master, the tree which you cursed has withered. He said, yes. He said, just say to this mountain, say if you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and shall not doubt in your heart. You will have those things which you say. But above all, what he wanted there to see is the fact that he went to that tree looking for fruit and he did not find one there. So every one of us must understand that God is watching our lives. Every seed God has put inside you is because there is a fruit that God is expecting. This is why we don't sit on seed. We don't sit on the seed that God has put in us. There are seeds that are given to every believer by the Holy Spirit to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. But there are also seeds that are, as we go through this series, we will see that there are seeds that are put inside you to be able to uh, uh, produce things, to be able to do things and bear fruit in that regards. Not everybody has every kind of seed in that way. It is called gifts and talents. We learned about them in Matthew chapter 25. You see, about 20-something, almost 80 years ago, now when people like ourselves, when I was in my sort of mid-20s, coming out to be people who were kind of showing signs of ministry, the understanding that was then was that you had to leave whatever you, you had studied. If you had gone to university, you had, in fact, some of our colleagues left university when they saw the sense the call of God upon their lives. It was a disaster. They left university and went to answer a so-called call. I'm not saying that it is wrong to do so altogether, but in many cases, it was erroneous because what was being taught then was that you have to be a person who faces one thing. And so nobody understood. It was not clear to people that there are people who have one talent. Somebody will say one talent. There are people who have two. Somebody say two talents. And there are people who have five. Somebody say five talents. 
And if you read Matthew 25 very well, it's clear that whatever it is God has given as a talent, he's expecting a 100% return, whether it is one, two, or five. When the five brought five back, he said, well done, good and faithful. When the two brought two back and again two more, he said, well done, good and faithful. The same commendation. He didn't say, why didn't you get another three? He didn't say, why did you use only, why did you use two and not one? Because it is expected that whatever God puts in you is what he expects. So as we go through this series, I want you to open up to the opportunities God will be giving to you to be fruitful as he teaches us his word. Now, sanctification is what has called us into this realm of fruitfulness. Sanctification simply has been mis- misapplied in many contexts. People have used the word sanctification in different erroneous ways over the years. Sanctification is simply being called out, being separated unto the Lord to be holy. That's all. Sanctification is not about a way of dressing or a way of speaking. You know, I had friends who, when they got born again, changed how they were speaking. They started to speak some kind of ways like that to show that they are now born again. <laughs> so they don't speak normally again. They say, brother, God bless you. <laughs> so that, is, that looks kind of sanctimonious. <laughs> It's nothing like that. Or change how they address it. Lovely sisters who were looking okay before they got born again. They got born again, started wearing some kind of things like that to show that they were now born again. I thank God. I'm sure there's pockets of that happening, but God is delivering <laughs> his children from a lot of strongholds. It simply means you are called unto the Lord to be holy. And this is an ongoing thing. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. This is one of our very popular scriptures in this church. And we hold it very, very much in high esteem. Especially as we are a people who are called into purity. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. Let's read it together. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Someone say completely. So there is partial. There is partial, there is ongoing. But the prayer here is that God himself sanctify you and I what? Completely. Now let's keep reading. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 23, he who, verse 24, sorry, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. He called you into sanctification. He himself will sanctify you completely. Now I want you to understand and remind you. Man is a spirit. Say with me, man is a spirit. He has a soul. And he lives in a body. What most people do not comprehend is that how can you say, when a man is born again, all things have passed away. All things have become new. And then people wonder and say, so how can you now say that there is ongoing sanctification? You see, the man who is a spirit is the one who has a regeneration. It's the one who becomes a new creation. The spirit man of man is what becomes in alignment with the spirit of God. As far as the soul is concerned, the soul of man continues to enjoy transformation. That is why Romans 12 Verse 1 says we should present our bodies as a living sacrifices. And then verse 2 says we should not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we should be, what? Transformed by the renewing of our spirit, by the renewing of our mind, renewing our soul. So the work of sanctification progressively renews our soul. 
when you and then your body does not actually change of course your body can reflect a bit of the peace of god in you it can reflect a piece of the uh, of the of the joy that of god that you have it can reflect those things and of course take care of our bodies but the ultimate sanctification of our bodies will happen when jesus appears in the sky first thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 tells us that when he appears then we shall see him and we shall be like him that is when we take up the final sanctified body. This body that we have today belongs to the earth. It belongs to the earth and it will stay on the earth. But when the, the, the man who has accepted him and has received him into their lives as Lord and Savior, see him ultimately, the complete perfection of sanctification in their, in their spirit, in their soul, in their body takes place at that point. But whilst we wait for that to happen, we have what is called an ongoing sanctification. So it is our duty to continue to reject carnality. The work of the devil is to continue to try to make us, especially in our soul, not to have the fulfillment of sanctification. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Doing what? Perfecting. Somebody say perfecting. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. Walking in holiness in the fear of God. It says let us cleanse ourselves. It is my personal responsibility to continue to cleanse myself. It is your personal responsibility to continue to cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh, from all temptations and trials and things that we fall for. We have a duty to stand walking by the Spirit of God. This is what will help us to be people who will gain access. This unbridled access to the fruitfulness of the Spirit comes as we walk in the Spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. You and I have a choice to walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. Every day you make a decision, a daily decision and a commitment to choose to walk in the spirit. It is not a gift to walk in the spirit. Some people are not more gifted than others. They are only more determined than others to hold on to the Holy Spirit to help us. Because it's not by power, it's not by might. They pray, they trust God, then they step out to walk in the Spirit. Hallelujah. It's a walk in the Spirit, and then you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then verse 23 tells us what those things are. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit, let's go together, let's read verse 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, verse 24 now, 23 now, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. That is the fruit of the Spirit. So we need knowledge to be able to walk in God's plan for us. And this fruitfulness by knowledge session we are looking at today is to see how we acquire this knowledge. Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. When you don't know something, it has a potential. People say what you don't know cannot kill you. It's a big lie. <laughs> That's one of the one of the ignorance that the devil is spreading about. Many things that we don't know 
are, are killing people. <laughs> they are killing people seriously. So let us not be fooled. We need to, we need knowledge. Because knowledge itself is information gained through experience, reasoning, and acquaintance. When you have access to information, relevant information, your life can never remain the same. You walk confidently when you have access to knowledge. What you know, you walk in the confidence of. When I started my educational career many years ago now, I remember the first few times I taught. I taught from a place of theory, what I was taught. Because me too, I have very little experience. So when I entered the class, I would put my eye like that, ready to fight anybody who wants to challenge me. <laughs> I'll be looking around like that. If you ask me any question here, I <laughs> because I was not too sure of what I was teaching myself. <laughs> I just come out of school, so, <laughs> so I was ready to fight anybody. But then as I grew older and I grew more experienced and more knowledgeable, I became more friendly. <laughs> I became more friendly with the students because I was more confident and I was ready to field questions. And now that I don't just have theoretical knowledge, I have applied a lot of that knowledge in the professional world. It even gives me more confidence. It's the same thing with the word of God. The more we have knowledge of God and the ways of God, the more assured we are, we are in the spirit. The more confident we are to declare our faith to others and to challenge the devil. If there is one thing the church of God must be doing today is to keep loading the body of Christ with knowledge. Access to knowledge of who God is. Access to knowledge of what God has said. That is where our guarantee and our assurance lies. So it is information we gained. It could be by experience, reasoning, or acquaintance by the Spirit of God. Now, one of the sevenfold manifestations of the Holy Spirit is that he is the spirit of knowledge sent to help us with the knowledge we need. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 and verse 2 tells us about a prophecy of Jesus Christ, which also relates to us. He said, there shall come forth, verse 1, a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord, verse 2, shall rest upon him. Somebody say the Spirit of the Lord. That's number one. The Spirit of wisdom, number two. Somebody say the Spirit of wisdom. Then the Spirit of understanding. Somebody say the Spirit of understanding. That's number three. Number four. Somebody say the Spirit of counsel. Number five. Somebody say the Spirit of might. Number six. Somebody say the Spirit of knowledge. And then number seven, somebody say the spirit of the fear of the Lord. We call it the sevenfold manifestations of the spirit. Now, we will be touching on some of them as we go. Like I said, this week, knowledge we will do. We're not picking them in that order. We're picking them in a particular, uh, 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 we're picking them in a different order, not as listed there. But next week, we'll look at wisdom and understanding. Then we'll look at counsel by the grace of God. Now, it is important we understand the place of the spirit of knowledge, the sixth manifestation listed there. The spirit of knowledge is given by God to help us have access to the knowledge about God, the knowledge of who God is 
and the knowledge of what God has said. You see, the word of God is yea and amen. That is why the first word in the Bible is in, and the last word in the Bible is amen. Basically, staying in everything that is said in this word is an affirmation of amen. It is a confirmed word. It is a validated word. It is a word that is alive, was alive yesterday, is alive today, and it remains alive forevermore. So the spirit of knowledge is given to us to help us understand the things of God, to have access to the relevant information that we need. But there are two ways I want to share with us today that we need to understand very carefully how we can embrace the spirit of knowledge to help us to have access to the relevant knowledge that we need. The first way I want to talk about a little, take a little time on is living in the fear of God. So it's a living in the fear of God. This is basically walking in holiness. This gives us what I call inspired knowledge. You say knowledge is information we have by reason of acquaintance, by reason of reasoning, and by reason of us being experiencing the Holy Spirit. As we walk with God, he speaks to us. He highlights the, his word to us in direct revelation and in a direct tone of voice that we can hear. Now, I want, I want to make a lot of, I want to take some time to explain this today. Because one of the areas where believers fall short, mostly in our times, is the fact that we do not know how to recognize God speaking to us. We do not know how to recognize the knowledge that God gives to us as we walk with him. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We will not be fools. I say we will not be fools in the name of Jesus. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When a person fears God, this fear is not the fear that you know makes you that has torment. This is a fear of reverence. This is a fear that is godly. This is one that says that I accept the supremacy and the sovereignty of God. This is a fear that says I refuse to do the things that God says he doesn't like. We went through a whole series of hating what God hates from Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, the last seven, eight weeks. Loving like God and hating like God. This is a fear that says I will love God with all my heart because he's commanded. This is the fear that says I will love people, I will love my neighbor as myself because it is commanded. This is what the fear of the Lord is. When we walk like this, and the fear that says, I will hate lying, I will hate doing wickedness, I will hate uh, sowing discord, I will hate bearing false witness, I will hate shedding innocent blood, and so on. When we, when we live like that, it, be, it gives us access to this ability to reason with God. It gives us access as we grow, as we speak. The same way you saw in scripture, God speaking to Abraham, God speaking to Moses, God speaking to uh, Isaac, God speaking to Paul, Peter, all those men, Elijah, Elisha. The same way you heard and saw in scripture that God speaks to them, he also speaks to us. 
but it takes maturity. He said fools will despise it. Those who do not reverence God, those who do not acknowledge God, those who do not understand that God is desiring to work with them will despise those kind of wisdom and instructions that come from there. So we must be prayerful. This is why prayer is not one of those things we do out of convenience. You see, we have many of us have been brought up to see prayer as something we only used to go and ask God. So when somebody starts praying, say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for my life. Now I begin to pray as my son is going to school. He just that just start giving a list. As my child is going to school, let them come back safely. This bill has not been paid. Let it happen in my life. This business I'm pursuing, Lord help me. And all his prayer point is ask, 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 ask. Which is fine. He said we should ask so that we can receive. But those things are not the most important things in prayer. Prayer should be much more about knowing about God. Praying to understand who he is. Praying that the eyes of my understanding will truly be enlightened so that I can know what is the hidden riches of his glory in the inheritance in the saints. That is what prayer should start with. And then if at all there is even a need at that point, after all that time, then you can bring it before him. He said by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, you can then bring your request. So it is important we pray. Colossians 1 verse 9. He said for this reason, since the day we had it, do not cease to what? Pray for you. And to ask that you may be what? Filled with the knowledge of his will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you and I be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all wisdom and understanding. Every one of us must understand this. That we must be people who are prayerful. We are prayerful. Let us work on ourselves so that we pray to know the will of God and to have the wisdom and the spiritual understanding. He said that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Walking worthy of the Lord, being fruitful, and then being able to be fruitful in good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 10. Walking worthy of God is one area of our lives that we must not compromise. Waking up every day, seeking to be fully pleasing unto him. This is what guarantees our fruitfulness. This is what guarantees our increase in the knowledge of God. You want to know more about God? You want to walk in his perfect will? You want to hear God walk pleasing to him? Love what he loves, hate what he hates. Be determined, pray, and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the inspired knowledge. The knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives, gives us information that will help us to take action when required. When we live like this, we can never come to crossroads. We will find it more difficult to come to places where we are not able to take steps to move forward because God will continue to inspire us as to what we ought to do. And when we go into wisdom and understanding, I will explain a little bit more about how those also complement knowledge. But everything starts from knowledge. Knowing that God is. Knowing that God exists. Knowing what God says is very important. We know about Jesus in John chapter 6 when there was the... The many multitudes that were coming to him and he asked that they should go and buy bread for them or that they should make them sit down and provide food for them. 
And the Bible says, when those people came, in verse 5, he said, he lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, John 6, verse 5, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that this may eat? Where shall we buy bread that this may eat? And verse 6, he said, but this he said to do what? To test him. For he himself knew what he would do. This he said to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. May God help you to know what you will do. In the name of Jesus. The day I saw this scripture many years ago, that Christ knew what he would do in the face of a problem, I prayed. I said, Lord, help me that in the face of every challenge of my life, help me to know what to do. And I pray God will help you to know what to do. In the name of Jesus. Life is only frustrating when you don't know what to do. When you know what to do, life is smooth. It's cheap. You see, the message of prosperity has been so, again, like every, like many things, has been so misconstrued and misunderstood the scripture. Many people have tied prosperity to material things and all kinds of erroneous things going on. The prosperity that the Bible talks about is a, is a work of grace. The Bible says, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you will have sufficiency in all things and be able to abound unto good work. It has nothing to do with money. Grace is what you need in the face of every opposition. When you have grace, if money is needed, grace brings money. <laughs> if money is needed, grace brings money. If ideas are needed, it brings ideas. If people are needed, it brings people. Whatever is needed, as long as there is grace abounding towards you. I know I'm jumping into the subject of grace, but this is the reality. Knowledge of God's word as one that gives you grace at the time of making decisions and doing things is one thing that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of knowledge, will help you. He will remind you. A wife will testify. The moment I see something now, it has been like this for many years in my life now, the moment I'm going through an experience, the next thing I'm telling her is, this is very much similar to what we read in the Bible about this person. This is what we read in the Bible about this experience and so on. Because what the Holy Spirit will do is to make you see that it is not a new problem. It's not a new challenge. The Holy Spirit will quicken your mind and help you to see either something you have gone through or some experience around you before. And then suddenly it comes to you. And then that is how you have strength. And then he tells you this is now what you will do. Hallelujah. The Bible says he himself knew what to do. I pray for you one more time that may God help you to keep knowing what to do. In the name of Jesus. At times you are given only five minutes to sit in front of somebody that would, would be used by God to change the affairs of your life. If you don't know what to do, what to say, how to act, how, what not to say at that time, it can, you can be an opportunity lost, but you will not lose your own opportunity. In the name of Jesus. When you sit down like that, the Holy Spirit will inspire you and he will give you knowledge. He will say, this is what you ought to do. This is what you ought to do. This is what you ought to ask. And as you ask, God opens the way for you. 
in the year 1998, some of you have heard this story many times, late 1998, I was, uh, I was still living in Nigeria, my home country, and um, I, was, uh, I went to do a course in Tel Aviv, in Israel, but mostly based in Tel Aviv. We went all over the place, those days, uh, Jerusalem, everywhere that you can think of, Elat, all those places we went there. And um, we were coming back on a flight. It was to be from Tel Aviv to Amsterdam. It was from KLM. And I was coming, I was going back to Nigeria, but there was a redeemed church of God in London that I'd got to know some of the brethren there that invited me that when I'm coming back, I should come through London to go before I go back home. So we planned the trip, Amsterdam to London, and then I come back to Amsterdam before flying home. And anyway, as I was going into Amsterdam, middle of the night, God woke me up. And he said to me, there's a funny drama around it, but I'll save you time for those of you that don't know that drama. But God said to me, I'm taking you out of your home country to minister my word in a unique way. I wasn't expecting middle of the night. You know how quiet it can be on a flight that's going overnight like that, seven, eight hours, and just quiet. I, but I knew clearly this was an audible voice as far as I could recollect it. And... Um, when I got home, I went to London to preach, finish the thing, got back to Nigeria. I said, God, if you are the one that spoke to me, the first confirmation I want, because at that stage of my life, I still learning a lot of things. Now I wouldn't even bother to ask that question again. But at that point, I wanted the confirmation. I said, the first, that the, when I speak to my wife about what you said, her first reaction is what I will follow. That's what I said to God. If she said, ah, no, I said, I will tell, I will, that's it. I'm not going to take it further. But if she agrees with me, and that's what I said to God, my innocence, this was 1990, I would do that to God again. <laughs> but that's what I said to him. Why? Because at that point in time, we were in our late 20s, we were about 28, 29, because we were the same kind of age. We were about 28, 29, and we were really, really living the high life. I told you I just flew to Israel. As at that time, I had gone to many countries and the prospects were high. When I get home, you know, a driver is waiting for me. I was living that kind of life as a 20-something-year-old. Nobody, no 27-year-old wants to live that kind of life. <laughs> you don't want to leave it behind at all. So I knew that that would be a total game changer to leave all that and go and start somewhere. I don't know where, by the way. But I heard that voice very clearly. And so when I got home, Hey, welcome this and that. We're talking. I said, this is what God said to me on the plane. She said, really? I said, yeah. She said, that's what he said. Why not? He said, where do you think? I said, I don't know. <laughs> and that was how the journey of our living Nigeria started. A year after, I didn't know what. I thought it would be Australia, Canada. I was just trying everywhere. I didn't know what it would be because I didn't hear more instructions from there. But in 1999, God led me to a man called Goodman Gadi. Goodman Gadi was working on one of our projects. And as I sat in front of Goodman, I was the representative engineer on behalf of my company who was representing the government, building a big dam in northern Nigeria at that time. And um, Goodman was, he came in just for one month to relieve the real project manager of, from holiday. They were all from Israel. I said to Goodman, I said, I want to go and practice outside. The Holy Spirit said, ask him how you can go outside practice, outside Nigeria to practice. I said, good man, I want to go outside Nigeria to practice. And I've sent my CV everywhere. I don't know why I'm not getting response. Then he looked at me, he laughed. He said, what, he said, what, he said, what have you done? I said, I've sent my CV everywhere and I'm not getting response. That At times I will get response that say, oh, we like your CV, but this and that. 
He said to me, he said, there are engineers in all those countries that you are sending to that are still looking for work. So how would they give you work? <laughs> I said, I don't know, but I know clearly I must go out. I didn't speak to him as in God spoke to me or whatever, but what the Holy Spirit said I should say. And a good man looked at me. He said, you have masters. I said, yes. He says, so why don't you apply for a PhD? As at that point in time, I didn't want to do a PhD. I don't even think about it. Because I didn't want to be an academic. Seriously. I didn't like academics. I thought that they were arrogant people who did not have money. <laughs> so I didn't want to live like that. My father was one, but thank God for him. He was not an arrogant person. But I saw all his colleagues where we were living on the campus. They don't have money. But when they come out, they, they, they do like that. <laughs> they carry themselves like that. I was not happy. I said, I don't like this life. <laughs> Now that's a joke, but the reality is that I didn't want to consider a PhD. He said to me, go and do PhD. He said, you will get a scholarship. I didn't know it existed. I didn't know how. Then he gave me just one link. He said, subscribe to this group. To cut the long story short, that was uh, September, there about 1999. By September 2000, I was in this country on a scholarship. From that one contact, listen to the Holy Spirit say, ask him how he will go and practice abroad. I've never seen Goodman since then. We exchanged emails a few times, especially when I got into the country. He, he went to Germany for some time and then we lost contact completely. You don't know who God will use or what God will use, but knowing what to do part-time will surely take you higher and further in the name of Jesus. This is why we cannot afford to walk in carnality. Carnality separates you from God. If you are living a double life, today you are in church, tomorrow you are in the bar, next tomorrow you are in those group. What happens is that you give the Holy Spirit a difficult task to speak to you. This is why you must be positioning yourself every time to be able to hear him. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 29, 28. He said, they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Why? Verse 29. Let's read verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They did not deliberately walk in my ways. He said that way they will not be able to hear me. Friends, let's not be fooled by our gifts and callings. When you have a gift and you have a calling and you can do certain things, it does not. Remember Samson? Samson was gifted with the spirit of might. Probably like no human being that has ever lived. A man that can kill 1,000 people at a time. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a joking matter. <laughs> With bare hand and a jawbone of a donkey. It's not a joking matter at all. 1,000 people, not 10. So he was very strong. And that gift was there all the time. Even when Samson walked away from the fear of the Lord, the gift was still operating. Until the physical sign of the gift was removed from him. What am I trying to say? There are many things around us today that are pointing to the fact that it looks as if what certain people are saying and claiming are the facts and the truth, but they are not because they are still operating in the gifts. This is where every Christian has to be careful. Everyone must understand that we should not be fooled by our gifts and callings. Whoever you are, 
Remember that it is you alone that must continue to examine yourself to be sure that you are in the faith and that you are a person who is not just operating by your gifts and callings, but you are also operating in the fear of the Lord and maintaining your relationship with God. This is why repentance is key. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 19, he said, For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. When you are fully repentant, fully yielded, he said, you will weep no more. He will be gracious to you. I say, he will be gracious to you. He said, at the sound of your cry, when he hears it, he will answer you in the name of Jesus. He said, now, and though the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. But your eyes shall see your teachers. When the Bible talks about your teachers now in the New Testament, those of you that were here earlier, we read, Pastor Moses led us to read John chapter 16, verse 1 to 24. And it tells us here, there, that the Holy Spirit is our teacher now. The Holy Spirit will not be moved into a corner anymore when you live in the fear of God. The Holy Spirit, please put back that verse for me. Put back that verse for me. Jeremiah, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 20. Thank you. He said, your teachers will not be moved into a corner anymore. He said, but your eyes shall see your teachers. You will experience the Holy Spirit because you are no longer living in rebellion. You are living in Mount Zion. You are living in the city of the Most High God. You are walking on your relationship with God. Then verse 21, everyone read verse 21. We all quote verse 21, but this is the principle of how it works. Let's read now. He said, that your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or wherever you turn to the left. So believers going about looking for people to tell them how to run, how to turn, how to eat, what not to eat. They are doing a disservice to the work of the Holy Spirit that has been given to them. He said, your ears, not the ears of your prophet, not the ears of your pastor, not the ears of your leader, your own ears. Somebody say, my ears will hear the voice behind me saying, this is the way I should walk. Everyone must know this. We read it earlier in John 16. I'll re-emphasize it. Verse 12. These teachers refer to the Holy Spirit. Verse 12. He said, Jesus said, I still have many things to do what? To say to you. But what? You cannot bear them now. Now, I was talking to the disciples, of course, and those of us who are coming later. Now, go to verse 13. Verse 13. He said, verse 13. Let's go. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will, he will, future tense, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Somebody say, he will tell me things to come. I want to make this emphasis today to let us know that God is still speaking. He's still speaking. He promised the disciples, the apostles before us, that he will speak. Our work as a church is to continue to develop one another to understand how he speaks. There's a lot of erroneous things going about in the body of Christ today. And the devil is capitalizing on it. Many people say God said, and God has not said. What God will not say is anything outside his word. There is nothing that concerns God with Donald Trump winning election or Joe Biden winning election. When believers go into that realm, they are off the mark. 
Many of them said that Donald Trump will win. Sadly, believers we respected, pastors we respected, preachers we respected. They said Donald Trump will win. He didn't win. Did that mean that God told them a lie? Did they make God a liar? So don't be disabused by such kind of things. Many of it will happen. God said to Jeremiah, many prophets will come and say, I spoke when I have not sent them. So it's not a new thing. Paul told Timothy, say in the last days, say people will be headstrong. They will be lovers of money. Because of money now, many people say things from the pit and say it is God that said to them, how can God tell you to collect money from people to buy a plane? Which kind of God is that? The God I know will put money in your hand to buy your plane, my friend. <laughs> he will put it in your hand. I can't come and tell you God told you to buy a car for me. I can't tell you things. My God will put the money in my hand. And you put it in your hand as well. <laughs> to buy whatever you need to buy. You don't need to stand in front of people and tell them God said. I see because of that now people are saying that God is not speak, God cannot speak to people again. That is not true. God speaks to people, but he will not speak outside his word. What God will say to you is the fact that he will confirm. When he told me that he was calling me to leave my home country to, to minister his word in a unique way, the first thing I was reminded of is going to all the world and do what? I preach the gospel. There's a peculiarity about my ministry. I'm not saying that that is how he speaks to everybody. There's a peculiarity about my ministry. It is something he said to me as a person and I'm walking in it. Praise the Lord. It does not mean that is the only way to walk. There are people God will call that will never smell a pulpit. But God's call is mighty on their lives. It's not about a pulpit. There are some of us that will have a pulpit and have many other things as part of the call. It is his own way of infiltrating this world and making his name known and causing people to be saved. God is still speaking. The Holy Spirit will tell you things to come. One of the biggest things that has helped me and is still helping me today in life is the ability to hear him give clear instructions. Am I saying I'm perfect at it? Have I heard everything I need to hear? Far from it. But the few I've heard so far that I've acted upon, I have seen very clearly that has nothing to do with analogy. When he speaks, on May the 26, 2013, this church was just about to be planted. It was obvious. I discussed with my pastor where I used to serve and to say to people that God is leading me out to plant this mission with my wife. And uh, I didn't have money. I didn't have anything. And as a matter of fact, the only money I had was just to use to register a company name with the company's house at that point and did some registration, about 300 pounds and all. After that, I didn't have, really have anything again. I just trusted him to do the work. On May the 26th, I keep trying to remember the actual date. I believe it's the 26th. The next day was the 27th. was a bank holiday. The last Sunday in May, 2013, I was going to uh, United Arab Emirates, to Dubai, to go to Abu Dhabi, actually, to do some work on behalf of my university then to go and lecture some police officers that we had a contract with at that time. They used to give us free tickets to come there and spend about a week to teach them. It was nice. We get, got treated and went to all the nice places. Anyway, the taxi picked a colleague of mine from Wolverhampton and then came to my house here in Warsaw and he picked me up. At that point, we were looking everywhere for a proper venue for the church. We had seen a few places. I can't forget one place we saw in town, right here in Warsaw, Nice place, lovely, lovely environment. 
And uh, they said, this place, you can have it. The only thing is you can't use it on Sunday. I said, ah. <laughs> After we almost signed it, they said, you can't use it on Sunday. I said, the Sunday is the real thing. <laughs> the Sunday is the real thing. So we saw all kinds of things. But as I was praying one day, the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, when you find a place, I will tell you. He said, keep looking, but when you find a place, I will tell you. And I told my wife what God said. And you know something? On that day, this was that Sunday, very early in the morning, a taxi driver that has picked me for years, going on official assignment. His name is Tim. And uh, Tim has probably picked some of my colleagues here if you have traveled on behalf of Overhampton University before. And uh, we reached those pedestrian crossings just on the road there on Green Lane. And God said to me, then the, the, the light stopped. Tim was speaking to me and my colleague because that's what he does. Taxi drivers talk a lot when you are traveling with them, don't they? They ask you all kinds of questions. Where are you going? How I've been there before? Blah, blah, blah. So he was talking all kinds of things. And then suddenly, I stopped hearing Tim. He was still talking. My colleague was responding. I stopped hearing Tim. This pedestrian light stopped us. There was nobody crossing. Maybe somebody pressed it before and they left before we got there, whatever. So we stopped. As soon as the car stopped, God said to me, now look to your left. That is this side. See that building, it is available. And I saw on this building, for sale, may rent. I'd never seen, I live just three streets away from here. I'd never seen it as at that point, five years living in Warsaw. Never seen the building like that. Probably just had a figment of knowing buildings that are around you, that kind of thing. I called my wife. It was so boiling in my heart. It was as if God spoke to all the pastors looking for building at the same time. <laughs> I called my wife. I said, go to that place. First thing tomorrow morning, Monday morning. We didn't even know it was bank holiday. Go to the place. I described the place. Tell the person we need the building. When she got here and she saw the sign, she said, ah, how are we going to do it? I said, don't worry. I said, this is what God said. This is what God said. So tell the person we need the building. To cut it short, the man himself said, I've been waiting for people like you. He said, where's your husband? He said, he went on an official trip to Dubai. You know how that sounds? <laughs> I didn't have 200 pounds in my pocket. <laughs> but God gave her wisdom to just, she wasn't lying. It was an official trip and it was Dubai. <laughs> Even though somebody else was paying for it. <laughs> he said, so where's your husband? He said, he went on an official trip to Dubai. The man said, hmm, that's serious. So he thought, I'm one, you know, shake like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, tell the man we need. When we came, he told me, this is what it's going to be, this is this, and that. He said, do you want to buy? I said, we, we're going to buy it, but we're not ready to buy it. He said, okay, let's do an agreement, blah, 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 blah. And that was how it went. One of the biggest testimonies of that story to show that God was in it was the fact that there was an agent's number and the landlord's number on the building. The agent's number did not go through on the Monday. Because it was a bank holiday. The landlord's number went through because it was his home line. And it was the landlord we needed directly. You know why? The agent would have asked us for financial history. He would have asked us for credit history. He would have asked us for trading. We had not started trading. There was no one church member at that point. So what, which paper would we present? <laughs> so God took away that blockage and make sure my wife spoke directly to the landlord and the rest, as they say, is, is history. A few weeks later, I handed him a check for 6,600 from zero. Not one church member yet, down there by the reception, as a deposit. The money is still in their hand today. <laughs> as a deposit for us before we paid the first 
amount that we started paying and quarterly we'll be paying like that since 2013 we've never defaulted and we're buying it very soon in the name of Jesus <laughs> he said it's available the reward available came to me in a bigger light that it means that he will give it to us the money will be available the people to worship in it will be available the favors we need will be available friends God still speaks I pray that you'll be hearing his voice. I say, I pray that you'll be hearing his voice. Whatever you need to hear from him, the knowledge you need to have a better marriage, to have a more productive life, God will show you from his word. In the name of Jesus. Which takes me very quickly to reading and studying the word of God. Reading and studying the word of God. The more we read and study, the more we learn about the person and the principles of Jesus. The person of Jesus gives us a focus of heaven. Every time we think about Jesus, remember the last things he said? He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Remember Jesus, his person. When you are reading the word of God, remember his person. The knowledge of what he's preparing in his coming again for us will be alive in you. But the principles he teaches helps you to live productively and fruitfully here on earth. Many principles that Jesus taught about money. Many principles that he taught about rest. He said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's a principle. When you are heavy laden, when you are belabored, you go to him in prayer, and you find yourself taking rest. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12 to 13. Paul said to Timothy, let no man despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in conduct, in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and purity. Verse 12. 13. He said, till I come, verse 13, till I come, verse 13, thank you, till I come, give attention to what? Reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. If you don't read, the more you read and study the word of God, the more you put a bank of resource inside you for the Holy Spirit to quicken, the Holy Spirit to walk, the Holy Spirit to remind you. There is nothing God cannot do. I said, there is nothing God cannot do. His word contains everything that you need for life and godliness. And he will continue to reveal that to you. But make it an intentional duty to keep putting it in your mind. He said, Romans 15 verse 4. He said, for whatever things we are written before, we are written for our learning. That we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have what? Hope. Learn from the word of God. Jesus said, learn of me. Learn from the word of God. There is no kind of temptation, trial, and persecution you can face today that has no evidence of a, pre, of a predecessor from the word of God. There is a precedence in the word of God. You just need to find it. When you found it, it gives you strength to face the day. God can speak through anybody. God can speak through anybody. And when the Holy Spirit speaks through the person, the word of God that is on your inside is what resonates and helps you to act. In the year 2017, this church, very late 2017 and 2018, God was doing a new thing in the church and some people felt they needed to move on and so on. And uh, I didn't know. I just thought many people have come to the church before and they felt it was time to leave. I just took it that way because that is not anything. God brings people, takes people, brings more people, and so it's his church. So I never felt anything. But I didn't know that there was some kind of a sinister thing that the devil was trying to get out of that particular incident. And uh, the, some, some brethren told me late 2017 that they were about, they wanted to leave. And I said, okay, let's 
Let's pray. Let's plan it if you're sure this is what you want to do. And uh, let's trust God that you will move on okay and all that. I didn't know that there was a lot of other gang ups around it. I didn't know. God is my witness. So I normally get to the church office after nine and then I'll do my, uh, um, um, what do you call this, lapel mic and uh, put it on and wire myself up completely before coming out to power tower 9.30 to be here exactly. So I was doing that. In walks a five-year-old boy, one of our children here. He's no more five. He's five plus about four now because <laughs> that was about four years ago. In walks this young man. Hardly has ever happened and has never happened since then as far as I can recollect. That early morning. And he looks at me and says, Pastor. I say, how are you? I called his name. And he said, are we going to the... He said, how are you? I said, I'm fine. He said, are we going to the other church? I said, no. I said, why? Oh, he said, there's another church. People are going to the other church. I said, okay. I said, son, come here. <laughs> I said, this is where we are. <laughs> and we will serve God here in the name of Jesus. He said, okay, amen. And he walked out. A five-year-old boy. Now, if somebody does not agree that that is God speaking to you, I don't know what else can be God speaking to you. But that one talk helped my mind to prepare. A month later, some of you that are here will remember, all kinds of things started to happen, but I remember when that little boy walked into my office to tell me that that was God warning me that you need to brace yourself. This is what that kind of thing gives some men, some, some pastors hypertension. Do you know that? Have you heard that pastors smoke cocaine? It's that kind of thing that caused them to smoke <laughs> They go and sniff again when the devil, when they are not prepared and he hits them like that, they must say, give me some shark. <laughs> Let me quickly take some shark. My, my head is going. <laughs> but when the Holy Spirit doesn't want you to sniff cocaine, he will come and tell you ahead of time. So I prepared my mind. So when things started playing out, I was tops of forms. Walking in love, still not allowing. I'll call some people, what's happening? How are you? Some will not even answer my call. But I stayed on calls. And then at that very time, my father was ill, very ill. My late father was very ill. Had a false ill before he passed on finally last year. I was very ill back home. And then I had some other challenges with one of my children, you know, relating to some other aspects of life. And, you know, it was just a very... And then this was January in the UK. You know how dark it is in January? So when I wake up in the morning, it's dark. My situation is dark. My physical situation, <laughs> everything was dark. <laughs> Let's rise to our feet. It's time. To- well, well, well.